0: The story. As she was
1: standing there waiting for her chickens, she thought he was hitting her until she saw a flash in his hand and realized that he had a knife. And uh, she finally fell to the ground and he took her purse and he took off running down the street. But meanwhile, Debbie has come to me and fallen into my arms and I'm just holding her. And she says to me, She just let's pray. She says, Pray that the devil does not get
0: any glory out of this. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, today we have part three of Eric Scatterbow's conversation with Ed Somerville, who Eric met in Texas many years ago when they were both in training to become missionaries. As we heard on the previous programs, Ed had quite an adventurous, carefree childhood growing up in the Appalachian Mountains in the eastern part of the United States. But as we'll hear today... Things took a very serious turn when, just six weeks into being a missionary with his wife and eight children in Mexico, tragedy struck. We'll find out what happened and how God got the glory through it all as Ed continues to share his life story. Welcome back to the program, Ed Somerville.
1: Thank you so much, Eric. It's a pleasure.
2: Glad to have you with us, and yes, unfortunately, after you were married and went into the mission field, there were some tragic events that happened, but God was faithful through it all, so we're going to chat about that a little bit later today, but let's start with when you met Debbie.
1: Oh, that's one of my favorite stories to tell, Eric. We were both working as camp counselors, and let me just put in a plug for being a camp counselor. Mm -hmm. It's a wonderful place to meet a wife, and um, when I met Debbie... You know, the little birds started to sing, and the stars looked brighter in the sky, and I was a, a wreck, you know. I Aww. couldn't eat, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't think. Um, it was just a beautiful thing that, uh, you know, that was a real answer to, to prayer, seeking the Lord for just who would be that life partner for me. Mm-hmm. And uh, he answered that prayer so wonderfully. But as we got more and more serious, Debbie came to me one day and um, She said, Ed, there's something that I need to tell you. She said, you know, here we are at camp. I know you love kids, but she said two different doctors have told me that in all likelihood, I will probably never be able to have children. Oh. And if that's a deal breaker, you know, I understand. Hmm. Well, you know, I just smiled and looked at her with that dopey grin and said, honey, no, don't worry. I said, you know, if you can't have kids, We'll just go out and adopt a dozen or two, you know, no big deal. <laughs> so I was I was not put off by that at all. Yeah. So we went ahead and we did get married. And at least back in that day, uh, the conventional wisdom was that you know you should probably invest some time in your relationship and in your marriage. You you shouldn't immediately start you know adopting kids or trying to have kids. So at the advice of Debbie's parents and her doctor, she was um, taking some birth control. And, you know, we were going along with our life. We were both teaching school up in the mountains and a little country school and uh, living in a little house on top of a mountain and got a little dog. And life was pretty good. And, you know, we thought, well, if we get to the place where we want to start thinking about a family, you know, first of all, let's make sure we have our family finances, you know, and Mm -hmm. in a good place that we... We've got enough money to consider children. Eric, I'm just going to tell you something. Yeah? That point in time never really arrived (laughs) when you can afford to have children. Yeah, yeah. But what did happen to us was that our car that we were driving broke down. And so for the first and the last time in our lives, uh, we went out and bought a new car. It wasn't much of a car. It was a little tiny Subaru hatchback, bright red but it was brand new, and um, we were really happy with that, but it didn't last long because about three weeks after purchasing that car, um, I was in a hurry to drive the hour into the town because I was going to pick up a couple of my younger brothers who were planning to come and spend Thanksgiving with us. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wanted to go get them at the bus station, mm-hmm. and I was running late. So that part of the country is all hills, and it's uh, windy roads And what happened is I got behind two slower cars that were in front of me, and I was going to be late picking up my little brothers at the bus station. So I was getting more and more anxious Mm -hmm. and kind of in a hurry, and I'm thinking, okay, how can I get around these guys? Where can I pass them? And I had traveled that road many times. I knew there was one spot, one spot where Mm. I could uh, have a long enough straightaway and be able to pass them. So when we got to that spot, I mashed down on the accelerator. I got up to about 100 kilometers per hour, pulled out to pass the car in front of me, and that's exactly the moment he pulled out to pass the car in front of him. And so uh, without realizing it, he forced me off the road. I shot off about a 10-meter cliff Oh no! uh, doing end-over-end and wound up. My brand-new car looked like an accordion, and I'm at the base of the cliff there. A couple of little old ladies pulled over and got out of their car and said, you best get out of there. That thing might blow up. Oh, wow. So I climbed out through the windshield and got up the bank, and uh, they called Debbie. She came and picked me up. We went and got my little brothers, and at home that evening, Debbie and I were there just, you know, thanking the Lord together that, uh, yes, we'd lost our car, but I was basically unscratched. Really? And I don't know about you, but there's been times in, in my life when I felt like, you know, the Lord was trying to get my attention,
3: mm-hmm. and yeah. that
1: was one of those times. Yeah, I think that would get my attention, <laughs> okay, yeah. Lord, if you have something to say, you know, we're listening. hmm yeah. And so I um, felt like the Lord just spoke to both of our hearts at that moment and said, you know, Ed, Debbie, you trust me in so many different areas of your life. And he said, but I'd like to challenge you. Would you be willing to trust me in regards to a family? And children, and we kind of looked at each other and we thought, well, you know, that's the safest and the best plan always is just to trust God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yes, we, we would like to put that whole area of a family into God's hands and trust Him. And so the Lord said, okay, good. Then I'm going to make you two promises. One, I promise you that I will not send you a child that you will not have love for, that you won't be able to love. Great, good. And the second promise was he promised that he would not send us any children, that he would not be the one responsible to meet their needs, you know, food, clothing, shelter, Mm -hmm. whatnot. Uh That was going to be his job, you know, if we would open our hearts and be willing to just trust him Mm -hmm. for children. So Debbie stopped taking her birth control, and one year later, our little daughter Mary was born. Mm. blonde haired blue eyed little princess now remember i'd grown up with all these rough and tumble oh, little that's right. brothers yeah. yeah way too much testosterone in my <laughs> house so when i'm holding this little beautiful little baby girl i'm like going god are you sure you know what you're doing god, i have no idea what to do with a little girl but um he helped me and as we figured all that out so um that was just the most beautiful blessing, just a miracle, of a mm. little child that yeah. two doctors were wrong when they said that it was a crab kid. Yeah, And so um, two years later, little baby Sarah was born, and a couple years later, our son Will came along, and then Ned, oh, a couple wow. of years later, there was Becky, and then Scott, and a couple years after that, there was Rachel, and finally, at the end of about 16 years, Walter was born. Our youngest last child. And um, I have to say that Debbie stopped. She was a school teacher. I was a school teacher. After this the first couple of years, she had to stop teaching school and stay at home to, you know, raise the babies and everything. Mm-hmm. So imagine a family of 10 and I'm um, taking home a school teacher's pay.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: The math just doesn't work out. And yet I can say here, 40 years. After God gave us that promise, there was never a time when he did not provide a a place for us to live and have food on the table and uh, transportation and clothes on our back. Mm. And I just want to say God has been incredibly faithful to us Mm -hmm. over all that time. And that big family, I mean, there was a lot of love there and a lot of adventures. And, you know, I could write a whole other book about (laughs) what it was like to... To have a family of eight children, it was yeah. definitely a, yeah. an unusual thing. But we reached a point then in the year 2000 where we felt like the Lord was calling our family to be missionaries and to mm-hmm. go and work with a group of missionaries in southern Mexico. And um, as we began to look at it more seriously and began to just get the confirmation for the Lord, we had a lot of friends who said to us, you know, um what are you doing? You know, don't you realize the danger that you can run into? They've got scorpions down there. They've Mm. got vampire bats, you know, they've got tarantulas. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of bad guys down there. And, uh, what we didn't tell them was that the city that we were going to was, uh, actually the kidnapping capital of the world at that time. Yeah. And yet we were certain that God was calling us there. And I'm here to say, after 17 years in Mexico, we did come back with every one of those kids oh, that we well, took down there. Well, that's good to know. So, you know, that uh, when you're in God's will, that's the safest place you can be. But mm, yeah. so we headed off to Mexico with this vision of starting up a new ministry with a team down there of a Christian camping, which, you know, we had experience in. And uh, later on, it developed into a missionary training center for Mexican missionaries mm-hmm. who were wanting to go out. Mm-hmm. So um, anyway, we were praying and trusting God that we were going to really make an impact in that country, and that we would see not just a few dozen people come to know Christ, but that we were praying for thousands of people through the ministry of, of Christian camping that they would come to know the Lord. And mm-hmm. so we, we just had a lot of faith and a lot of trust that the Lord was leading us there with a with an important purpose in mind. Mm-hmm. Of course, you know that uh, there is an enemy, mm-hmm.
3: yeah. and
1: there is such a thing as spiritual warfare, yep, and there is opposition. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned one of the more uh, serious and sad things that happened uh, mm-hmm. to us, and it was only after we had been in Mexico for about six weeks that Debbie and I uh, left the kids home and... Uh, went a few blocks down to a town center where we were going to have the oil changed in our van mm-hmm. and do a little shopping. And uh, we were waiting for the mechanic to show up and walking around the town square, and we spotted this this man who uh, was dressed all in black and had uh, some kind of ugly-looking tattoos mm-hmm. across his chest and his arms, very menacing kind of look on his face. Mm-hmm. We just yeah. didn't pay a whole lot of attention. And we kept on walking, wound up back at the garage, and the mechanic showed up. And as he was getting ready to put the oil in the van, Debbie said, I'm going to step around the corner and go pick up a couple of uh, rotisserie chickens to take home for supper mm-hmm. about 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and broad daylight and everything. Yeah. So she stepped out, and uh, about two minutes later, I looked up, and Debbie was running back to me, coming through the gates of the of the mechanic shop, covered with blood because she had been stabbed 14 times by this strange-looking man that we had seen who had approached her. And uh, as she was standing there waiting for chickens, she thought he was hitting her until she saw a flash in his hand and realized that he had a knife. And he was striking her with that knife time after time. And she began to fight for her life. And uh, she finally fell to the ground and he... Took her purse and uh, even grabbed the chickens, and he took off running down the street, uh, leaving her really he thought he thought for dead. Mm. So, as he's running down, the mechanic saw him running down the street, and he took off in chase. The assailant threw his knife into a shop, and the shopkeeper there was friends with our mechanic. So, the two of them chased this guy down the street and tackled him to the ground. Oh. Um, but meanwhile, Debbie has come. To me and fallen into my arms And I'm just holding oh, her And she says to me She just lets pray She says pray that the devil Does not get any glory out of this
0: You're listening to The Story Today Eric Scadabo is once again chatting With Ed Somerville Who's focusing today on his life As a missionary in Mexico As we just heard Ed and his wife Debbie had only been in Mexico six weeks when tragedy struck. We'll find out what happened next when we return. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 888. Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax, and this is The Story. We're continuing with Eric Scudderbow chatting with Ed Somerville, who's sharing about his life as a missionary in Mexico. As we heard before the break, Ed and his wife Debbie had only been in Mexico six weeks when tragedy struck. Debbie was stabbed 14 times by a crazed man who was on drugs at the time. Now we'll hear what happened next after she collapsed into Ed's arms.
1: so we begin to pray hard. Mm. Uh, moments later, a doctor showed up with his nurse, because they'd had a clinic two doors down. And he begins to tend to Debbie. And just a moment later, seven policemen show up. And just a couple minutes after that, an ambulance shows up. They said to me, uh, ¿cuál hospital le llevamos? And I'm thinking, okay, I've only been here for six weeks. My Spanish is not that good. Mm. What a what are they trying to ask me? And they're trying to say, what hospital do we take her to? Oh. Of course, I'm in shock. I have no idea. Yeah. yeah. And as they're loading her in the back, I'm climbing up into the front with a driver thinking, you know, when we get out of this ambulance, my precious bride might be in heaven by then, you mm. know? Yeah. So we're driving up the boulevard. You know, the lights are on, the siren's going. And uh, I'm just, my heart is sinking. I don't know, you know, what to think or what to do. Yeah. And just as we're passing a shopping center, one of the few friends that I had met, he was a pastor, mm-hmm. um, was pulling out with his family after doing some shopping. And his son looks up and he says, Dad, I think that looks like Brother Ed in that ambulance. Mm. And so his father did a U turn and followed the ambulance. And when I stepped out of that ambulance at the hospital, he had his arms wide to just hold me and catch me. Mm. And I just, uh, just, was such an encouragement and yeah. a blessing, yeah. and he helped Debbie get checked into the hospital. Mm-hmm. And he spoke to the uh, police that were coming to question, and and uh, it was just just a godsend, an angel. Hmm. Just a few minutes later, the the doctor came out of the the examining room, and he said to me, "Sir," he said, "your wife is a very lucky woman," and I said, uh, "Why do you say that?" He says, "Well, they've stabbed her fourteen times." And he said, "The knife blows that were aiming towards her heart and lungs, each one was deflected by a rib." Oh. And he said, "I said to him, sir, that's not luck." Yeah. I said, "God was there. His mm. angels were watching over Debbie and protecting mm. her." They said, "We're going to put her to sleep, and we're going to put in uh, like fifty-eight stitches."
3: Wow. But
1: um, in another forty-five minutes or so. Um, I was there with her, and she was coming to out of anesthesia. She was fine. They were going to be able to release her the following day. And so she spent the night in the hospital. We got some friends to stay with our kids that night. Mm-hmm. But um, I can still remember driving up to our house and Betty getting out of the car and coming in the front door and all of our kids gathering around to look at her. Mm. And, you know... It's a scary thing for children, you know, when their parents uh, yeah. you know go through yeah. an ordeal like that. Yep. But she was able just to smile at them and just uh, such peace and just such a reassurance that uh, the Lord had taken care of her and had kept her safe. And so, praise God, you know, the, they never suffered with nightmares or mm-hmm. anything like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, she healed up pretty quickly. Uh, she had a few months of kind of a heightened sense of, you know, trying to make sure the windows were shut and the doors were locked. Oh,
3: yeah, of course. Yeah.
1: Trying you know, just being careful. Yeah. But the Lord took care of her. Hmm. That evening, one of our pastor friends and a few members of his church came by uh, with their Bible and a basket of fruit and had prayer with us and then started to make their goodbye speech. And the next night, another pastor, pastor friend and a few members of his church did the same thing and the third night another pastor finally we realized wait a minute everybody's coming to say goodbye Mm -hmm. and we had to say you know what we're not leaving we're staying here Mm -hmm. because if the devil is that angry that he would stoop to such measures to try to send us home that must mean that God has a good plan for what he's going to do here Mm -hmm. the last thing that happened in that story was that Several days later, there was a, a little knock on her door, and a stranger was standing there. And he said, "You don't know me, but he says I, I worked at a mechanic shop. Mm-hmm. And he said, when when your wife was stabbed that day, he said I was up underneath a car and working. And he said I looked out and I saw you holding one another, and I heard you praying, and I saw such a peace. Mm-hmm. And he said that peace is something that I need in my life." Oh. And so we were able to lead that mechanic to the Lord right there. So, you know, you just have to trust that God knows what he's doing with all of that. So praise him for the way that he's faithful and he watches over us. Mm -hmm. Like I said, 17 years later, we came back from Mexico, back to the States with all of our kids. Now, you know, getting older and almost grown But we had another kind of a a frightening moment, and that was that Debbie got word that her grandmother uh, had passed away Mm -hmm. with ovarian cancer, Mm -hmm. which is an extremely aggressive kind of cancer, uh, and she really didn't survive long after she was diagnosed. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: A year later, Debbie's mother passed away with this exact same type of cancer. Mm -hmm. And when Debbie's doctor found out about this, he had a conference with her, and he said, this is a very hereditary kind of a cancer, oh, okay. and he said, "My recommendation is that you you have a hysterectomy. That's the only way that you you will, you know, be able to avoid you being next,
3: you mm-hmm. know."
1: Yeah. So he said, "I would advise you to to have that operation yesterday if you mm-hmm. could." Yeah. And so you know, we took our doctor's advice, and, and she went and had that surgery, and they sent a sample off a biopsy to the lab, and it was a week later that he called us into his office, and he looked very sober. We sat down there not really knowing what to expect, but just trusting the Lord. Mm -hmm. And um, he said, well, we got the results back uh, from your biopsy. And he said, "Uh, yes, he said, there are uh, mutant cells in there, but he said, we have managed to catch this thing just in the nick of time, Uh just before Uh these cells started to become cancerous. He stopped and he looked at us for a moment and he said, you know, I have a theory looking at Debbie. He said, when you made the decision to have all those children, he said, you allowed your woman's body to do what a woman's body is created to do. And and the hormonal, you know, uh, ebb and flow, you know, going through pregnancy and then through breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. he said, it's my firm conviction that in deciding to give life to your children that as it turns out, your children have given life to you because that has delayed the onset of this cancer oh, okay. until we were able to, to catch it in this surgery. And so oh. we, Debbie and I just looked at each other, and, you know, God moves in mysterious ways. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. Who, who would have thought, you know, that uh, just trusting Him for what His plans were for us and for a family would, in the end... Um, be the thing that would spare Debbie's life, mm-hmm. and uh, just so grateful, so yeah. grateful to yeah. him for the, the ways that he has led us in our life and, and uh, provided for us and protected us.
2: Well, thank you so much for sharing. We just have a few moments left. Could you kind of reflect back over the whole of your life from childhood and what we can learn from the lessons of the life of Ed Somerville?
1: I would say this. God is a big God. Amen. He's a lot bigger than any of us think or know, Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and I wouldn't want to be guilty of limiting what God wants to do in my life because of small faith, and I think it's those times when we just screw up our faith and and our courage, and we go out on that limb just believing Him for whatever it is that He's calling us to do, and we see impossible things happen, and Mm -hmm. others around us look at us and say... That couldn't have been Ed that did that. That had to be God that did that. Mm -hmm.
3: And in doing those
1: miraculous things, he gets the glory. So don't be afraid. Don't be shy. Don't be bashful. Believe God for big things and watch and see what he does.
2: Amen. And then, of course, going back to the last couple of programs and all that living outside and all those adventures you and your brothers had, that kind of prepared you for the rough and tumble life of uh, missionary life (laughs) in Mexico. (laughs)
1: Yes, it did. God does not waste a single experience. Yep. and so
2: I don't know about the volcano is, thing, but uh, the other stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So all those things that you're going through, remember God has a purpose in yep. all of that. Yep. And He's going to uh, use those things for His glory and for the extending of His kingdom.
2: Amen. Thank you so much, Ed Somerville, for sharing your stories with us.
1: Thank you, Eric, for the opportunity. It's just been my pleasure and... Uh, Just look forward to getting to know all of your listeners. Uh, One day we'll meet each other in heaven and we'll sit around and tell each other more stories and and then you can shake a stick at, as they say around here.
0: That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Ed Somerville about his life journey, all the way from a carefree childhood in the Appalachian Mountains to being the founder of a missionary training centre in southern Mexico. Eric and his wife Jean met Ed and Debbie in 2001 at Spanish Language School, shortly before Ed and Debbie went to Mexico. Little did they know at the time what was in store for their new friends in Mexico, but as we heard... God was with them through the valley of that tragic time and has been faithful every step of the way. As we've heard, Ed started off as a teacher and went on to become a principal of a Christian grade school. He then went on to train missionaries as a director of an evangelistic camp in Mexico and is now involved in training missionaries in the United States. Quite a journey that he and his wife Debbie have been on and... Ed is in the process of writing a book about this part of his life in Mexico. We pray he's able to finish it and share with others how God has worked in their lives. Well, thank you for joining us for the conclusion of Ed Somerville sharing his story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. The Story, just another way vision is connecting faith to life.